Well, good morning. Yeah, that's what I like to hear, a little enthusiasm. Gosh, I've been looking forward to this. I haven't had the chance to be up in front of you in a while, and man, I've had a lot going on and learned a lot and grown a lot, and uh, I'm ready to, to just throw it up all over you this morning. You laughed. You're getting it. I'm not funny, but you laugh when it's, yeah, anyway. So uh, before we get into the, the message, I just want to ask you, how you doing? I mean, really, a lot going on. Special shout out to those of you online, by the way, especially the families up in Gower Springs who I was with last weekend who were watching us. Uh, hope you guys are gathered up and doing well. You know, it's, it's been interesting, hasn't it? I think the worship and the teaching the last several weeks has just been right on, don't y'all? I mean, Drew's been doing a great job telling the story and and gosh, Daryl, I've been worshiping with you for more years than I want to admit, and uh, I still love your style, and uh, you played my favorite song this morning. I felt like it was my birthday, you know? And, uh, but we miss those who aren't here, don't we? We do. We miss the, those who are not here. And so, I want to come back. So, how are you doing in the midst of all the weirdness? Are you living life on purpose? That's kind of my theme today. Are you living life on purpose? Do you have clarity and direction and focus and purpose in your life? Are you maybe instead being driven and forced by circumstances? I have a, a, a good friend, uh, four kids, husband's leaving her, leaving uh, custody of one of the kids that is his and and uh, she just feels like she's driven by uncontrollable forces. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, what kind of choices do you have as a single mom with four kids who's been a mom for 25 years? And so she's got this sense of just, you know, i got to do this, and i got to do that, and i got to go here, and i got to go do this, and i got to do this, and how am I going to get all this done? And then there's others, uh, especially people I work with, that, that, that maybe, and, and maybe some of you have been this way, they're just kind of in neutral, you know? They're, they're, and I've certainly been this way. They're wandering maybe from job to job without really a direction or a purpose, wandering from relationship to relationship, uh, not really sure why they're here. And, uh, and you know, they can go on for some time. I, that's, that was, uh, can be pretty common as a kid, but... My experience has been it's just as common in 40 and 50 years old, 50 year olds, as is it as it is, as it is in 18 year olds, and so they're wandering, still wondering, who am I? Why am I here? What purpose is there for me? Is there a purpose for me? You know, all of us experience some of the above at different times. I mean, haven't you? There's been times when I felt driven like I had no choices. There's been times when I felt real clarity and real focus and real direction. Um, and there's certainly been times when I wandered around lost. In fact, as I've shared part of my story with you, when I began to make a move toward getting off of the streets and become, really becoming sober, it took me 10 years to kind of figure things out. And during that 10 years, I had no clue what I was going to do when I grew up. 
Of course, I didn't know I wasn't going to grow up. That's been a little bit of a shock to be 64 and you're still not grown up. It's a little discouraging, but still working towards it. But, but literally, I had no idea what my gifts were. I had no idea what was unusual or unique about me. I had no idea of any value, real value, that I had to contribute to life. Any of you ever feel that way? No? Okay, I'll leave now. I mean, you get to this place where you go, okay, which way am I going? And why am I going there? And what will happen when I get there? And, and this comes out, you know, in, in larger ways in life. But when you, when you really get down into human behavior and the way we approach life, you know, it gets to be a day-to-day deal. And so what happens is, is we can, we can either t- choose a proactive stance in life or a reactive stance. Now, proactive, and let's go ahead and bring those up on the screen. Proactive means being intentional, creating a plan to accomplish a purpose, causing something to happen rather than reacting to events after they've occurred. And this is reactive. Reactive behavior is when you're kind of extemporizing, you're making it up as you go along, you're entering into endeavors unintentionally, but instead you're reacting to events after they occur. I see this all the time in my work. And so people are, uh, are, are not living with any focus or intention, but they're like pinball machines. Now, some of you haven't ever seen a pinball machine. I know, but they used to be around, okay? But, but a pinball machine, you know, you pull the, the lever back and the ball bounces out, and what happens is it bounces from bumper to bumper to bumper to, to swiper to bumper, totally out of control. And so all it can do is react to the last bumper it hits and hopes it stays out of the drain hole. You know, there are a lot of people who live their whole life that way. They don't think about the implications of the decisions or, or uh, the problems that might be created but, but instead, they just, they just wait till something happens, and then they react to it. They just wait till uh, something bad happens, and then they react to it. And then maybe something good happens, and now they're scared to death because something good happens, so they just know something bad's fixing to happen. Now, come on, any confessors here? Yeah, yeah a couple, yeah, I got a couple, yeah. yeah. And so what happens is you're constantly on guard but at the same time, you're passive because you, you don't have any direction. In, uh, in the book of Acts, as we continue the series today, um, let me get over there. In Acts 22, if you uh, aren't already there, why don't you go ahead and be turning there. I say 22. Yeah, I'm sorry. Chapter 20, we've got verses. um, Let me find myself here. My name is Paul. Yeah, right after 
Eucatus is raised from the dead. Look at it in verse 13. It says, uh, Paul says in verse 13 of Acts 20, we went on ahead on a ship and sailed across for Asos, uh, where we were going to take Paul on board. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Osos, we took him aboard and went on to Malinta. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after we crossed into Samos and on the following day we arrived in Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. By the way, after Drew assigned me this passage, he said, hey, I'm not sure I gave you one with enough meat on it. Is it going to be all right? Because really what you have here is just a dis- depiction or a description of Paul's movements, right? But as Drew's pointed out several times in the course of the series, Paul was being very intentional. He knew where he was going, what he was going to do when he got there, and what was next. And on the basis of his plan, he made his decisions, right? Can you imagine after raising uh, the boy from the dead and all the emotions of the night and, and people not wanting him to leave and him wandering around performing miracles over the whole time that he was there. Can you imagine the temptation it would be just to stay there? Wouldn't you want to stay? I mean, things are going good, right? People are happy and they like me. And the gospel is spreading. And so, gee, maybe God had, just, just needs me to stay here and just build and build and build and build. But it wasn't Paul's plan. He, before he moved into the course of this missionary journey, he had a plan, and he was executing his plan. And so living life intentionally, living life on purpose, is, is modeled so well by Paul. I want us to, stay, to take time today and really take a look at our own lives and ask the question, am I living life on purpose, or am I just drifting? Am, am, I, am I being intentional in my personal growth? Am I being intentional in my works of service to Christ? Am I being intentional and trying to figure out how I can be the best wife possible to this lunatic I married? I mean, hey, it's hard, right? And so am I giving thought to what it takes to minister to my wife now that we're moving into our, quote, golden years? It takes intentionality rather than just reaction. When we're reacting to things, we're, we're a victim. But when we're positive and through prayer and spiritual disciplines, we're focusing on what's the best thing? What's, what would God call me to do here? What is God calling me to do here? Clarity, direction, and focus. You know, Paul was called... To take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, that's a pretty broad calling, wouldn't you say? And so he could approach that randomly. And so, okay, I guess that what it means is, is I'm going to walk around town and every Gentile I see, I'm going to take the gospel to them, right? How long would it take him to take the gospel to the nations one at a time? Not too good, would it? Instead, he, he stepped back. And prayerfully, counting on the wisdom of relationships of many brothers, listening for the Lord's direction, he constructed a plan. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to these strategic communities. 
I'm going to plant the word. I'm going to pray that it blossoms. I'm going to nurture it. And then as it nurtures and begins to grow, I'm going to leave it in the hands of capable people and I'm going to go to the next town and the next town and the next town. And so I'm going to plant spots of light in this dark room of nations where there is no light. Let the light grow and then spread. And in the process of that, he came to uh, a juncture where he needed to go to Jerusalem. And so when he set course for that, he was very intentional to it. To live life intentionally and productively in, that, in, in the way we're talking about Paul here, there are three things today I want to call your attention to. One is you have to have a vision for your life. Do you have a vision for your life? Have you even thought about that? Why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish? If you, if you were able to skip ahead 20 years from now and look back at the 20 years that preceded it, what do you want to see and to have said that was accomplished and done in your life spiritually and otherwise? Have you ever asked that question? That's a great job interview question, isn't it? But, but it's also a great question for life. So you have to develop a, a, a vision. You've got to understand what your calling is, what your purpose is. And then you've got to create a plan to get her done, as the cable guy would say. So let's talk a little bit about vision. You know, vision's an easy thing, and people get real intimidated by it. How many of you would say, yeah, I'm a visionary? Are you alive? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a big word, isn't it? Uh, let, let me, I'm going to make y'all have fun this morning, whether you like it or not, okay? Why don't you stand up? This is an old exercise I used 20 years ago, but it works. I want you to repeat after me. You ready? And, and, and also reproduce my hand gestures. Ready? Vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to a willing servant. Let's do it again. Vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to a willing servant. Vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to a willing servant. Go ahead and sit down. I do that just to mess with you. It's fun. Torture, torture. Vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to a willing servant. And every one of you sitting in this room or sitting at home are by nature visionaries. It's a common skill. It ain't a big deal. We turn it into this, like, I'll be like Cuban. No. How many have kids? you have a vision for your kids? You kind of look at them and kind of see she's got this strength and he's got that and maybe, maybe we need to get them in this high school. Do you think about that? Do you have a, do you have a vision uh, for what you'd like to do on vacation if you ever got one? I mean, we look ahead in our lives and in our work and you have a vision for how you wish your spouse would act differently? Come on, be honest. Okay? You got a vision for the four ways you'd love to see him change today. 
That's not a healthy vision, by the way. So, so we don't have any problem with taking a look at our current circumstances and visualizing circumstances that would be preferable and, and getting a, 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 an idea in our mind of how things could be better than they are. I mean, that's a common skill, right? We do it all the time. And so we've got this clear capacity to have vision and to cast vision. And the scriptures tell us clearly, without a vision, the people... And why is that? Because they're wandering around in circles in the desert. They don't know whether to go left or right. They feel like they have no choices. They feel like victims. They're not moving in prayerful faithfulness and saying, God, what would you have me do? Because I believe in my heart you have a purpose for my life. And that if I chase you and follow you, I can find that purpose. And Christ, going into the Scriptures, becomes real clear. And and there are several points of vision that he gives us. I want to concentrate on two today. God, God calls us to two I would say almost primary things to be holy. Peter tells us, be holy for I am holy. And the the transformations you see in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. No longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's this constant call throughout scripture if you read it to move from the kind of behaviors that we had lived in to the kind of behaviors that will bring us blessing and prosperity and God's part of God's whole purpose in bringing us to salvation and actually the beginning of the experience of eternal life as we learn to get better better men better women better husbands better daughters better sons better fathers, to get better. And so holiness is very, should very much be a part of the vision for our life. The second thing that he does is he, in the scriptures, is he defines another part of his vision for us as servants. Let's look up at the scriptures up here on John 13. Thank you. This is the end of John 13, and he's just washed the disciples' feet. Do you remember the passage? And so it's the night before he dies. He's given his last instructions to the disciples, and, and, and he, he washes all their feet as they come in. Peter doesn't want to do that because he, he was uh, going to be too humble for that. And Christ said, no, if I don't wash you, you're in big trouble. And at the end of it, this is what he says to them. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. Therefore, if then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also must wash another's feet. Go to the next slide. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is his master greater than the one who sent him. Go to the next passage. This is out of uh, a, a section of Philippians 2 
And it talks about Christ moving towards heaven and setting an example for us. And it says, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of, or he was in fact God, did not count equality with God or claiming that role as God as something he needed to hang on to, to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being bound in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As y'all know, this is one of my favorite passages. What Jesus said was, I'm going to take my position of God, and I'm going to put it on the side, and I'm going to come down there and show men how to be men. And the way that men are men is when they serve, is when they sacrifice, is when they give for the benefit of the people around them, when they're willing to die for each other, and for mankind. Go to the next passage. And Jesus said to them, oops, that's Matthew 28. Go to the next passage. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. And so what we see is, is that Jesus has called us to be servants, has called us uh, to good works, but he's not only called us to them, he's created them in advance for us to do. And so you're going to do good works as a believer. You may enjoy them, you may not. You know, if you're in a submissive position and trying to chase God, then you'll, you'll probably rejoice in them. If you're a slug, you'll probably just slug your way through it. But the, but the point is... General servanthood should be characterized in every sphere of our life. Finally, the third part of God's vision for us is the Great Commission and the advancement of the gospel, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. And so let's, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about calling. You know, calling can be a real confusing idea, can't it? And so there's a specific call where God specifically calls an individual to a specific task, right? I mean, I firmly believe that Drew was called specifically to this church at this time, at this place, for whatever God reason had, had in his mind. And he communicated that in a way to Drew that was clear to him. Moses. God had to drag him kicking and screaming to serve the Israelites, didn't he? I don't want to go. Don't make me go. And so there are instances, lots of instances throughout the New Testament and the Old where God has called specific people to accomplish a specific task for a specific reason. That is actually fairly rare, I think. But it's not the kind of thing that you miss when God knocks you up on the side of the head and says, go this way. You know, you can pretty much get that. But there's this more general calling that he has on it. The ones that I've been mentioning where we're to serve and we're to use our gifts. And, and in general, as Oz Guinness put it, God has called all men everywhere to serve him, period, exclamation point, to serve his purposes. And so the question is, as, it you, as you look at yourself, what are the gifts and the strengths and abilities you bring to that? Right? What's your role? If God's serious about having you use you or you or you in advancing his kingdom, 
What's the role you have to play? Isn't that a sensible question? Well, you know, one way that we can understand that question is going back to that Ephesians passage. If God created you in advance to do good works, right? And those good works are such that they are preparing you to do the things which he's created in advance for you to do, then it seems to me if you knew your strengths, you know the general area you need to go serve, huh? Hello. But see, we have a problem with that. If, if I passed around a sheet of paper to everybody in the room and I said, I want you to write down all your weaknesses on one side and write down your strengths on the other side, which side do you think would have the most information? You can talk all day about your sins, but what are you good at? I can't say that. But the fact is, maturity in Christ is getting to a place where you've got this balanced understanding and going, you know what? I am really good at this, and I am really not good at this. And that ought to tell me what I really ought to be doing and when I really need to go get some help. I'm telling you, all since you're we've got to work on it. We, 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 we need one Sunday a month to work on humor. Duh, if you don't do something well, find some people around you like brothers in Christ who are mixed into the body and all have diverse gifts. I bet you there's somebody that's got the gift of administration if you can't organize your way out of a paper bag. I learned a long time ago that, hey, God's given me a gift of leadership, but if I don't have somebody like Daryl around me, I'm lost. I'm just done. Because I've got this idea, this idea, and this idea, and we never have anything but ideas and never get anything done. It's kind of a problem. And so what you do is you recognize that you've been given specific gifts. They've been given to work in unison with complementary gifts. That's uh, one environment for that. Gosh, guess what? Is the church. Hello? And so the question becomes, in using your gifts, what is your, why are you here? Why are you here? You could be at home watching it on the Internet, or you could be getting ready to go play golf. You could be do, getting ready to do a lot of things. Why are you here? Is it just to listen and be comforted? Is it just, you know, to see some old friends like we all know each other that well? Why are you here? To worship, yeah. You know, the greatest act of worship is the sacrifice of your body on, on the altar so that you are transforming and becoming like Christ. Do y'all see where I'm going? You're here to serve. So what are you doing? Do you know what your role is here in the body? Have you looked to think, gosh, here are my gifts and here are my strengths and I could contribute in this way. I mean, it wouldn't be any big deal. I mean, maybe I'm the humble, behind-the-scenes, please-don't-notice-me type, but I love to, to do things for other people. And so I'm in the kitchen, or I'm doing the, the um, tithes, or I'm, I'm just showing up during the week and say, hey, Daryl, is there anything I could do to help? I mean, there's a thousand things. It's not all up front. It's not all here. It may not even be in the building. It may be down at 
uh, the, the kids' camp, or it may be a thousand places. If, you, if you're looking for a place to serve, you call me, because I guarantee you I can find a place where you can take your gifts and use them to advance the gospel. Do you want to do that? It's a big question, isn't it? Well, I'm kind of busy with COVID, and, you know, I've got these kids, and I want to shoot them. My wife won't let me, so I have to stay home and watch. But the point is, what you're created for, what you're gifted for, the vision for your life is to be a servant. Now go do it on purpose. Don't just stand around and wait and, say, and watch the train go by and look for the servant cart. You find the servant cart and you chase it down the track if you have to because you know if you're going you're gonna to express the grace of God in your life, if you love him the way we worshiped him a while ago so well, and thank you for the planning. It was so good. Because you know why we serve? Because we love him. We serve because we want to be like him. We serve because he saved us and cares about us. We serve because he responds to us when we pray. We serve because we were designed to only be happy when we're serving. And it's just so easy, especially in these times, to just sit, listen. Okay, I'm done. Uh Uh-uh. No. No. That's not why we're here. Ephesians 2.10. You're created with good works in advance to do. Could you bring up Romans 12, please? This is at the latter half of the verse that I've been quoting about transformation, okay? And here's what he said. Here's what he says. He says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Now, what what does sober judgment mean? I understand my strengths. I understand my weaknesses. I, I, I don't puff myself up over my strengths, and I don't destroy myself over my weaknesses. That is just the facts. Paul's a great idea guy. He can organize himself out of a small paper bag, not a big one. That's just a fact. And so I understand that about myself. And so each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, for as one body we have many members, and members do not have the same function, we, though, are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's service in serving, if it's teaching in teaching, and it goes on to list the gifts and say, if you got the gift, use it on purpose. Don't wait. Don't sit around and hope to get noticed and say, you know, you could do this. You you come up to do and go, I want to serve. Be obnoxious. Because you're designed to be serving. You identify your gifts, and then you look at your various roles in life and say, how can I use this set of strengths and gifts to serve my husband? How can I use this set of strengths and gifts 
to work to serve my uh, co-workers at work? How can I use this set of strengths and abilities to serve my friends, to serve my small group, to serve my church? Do you see you have a beginning point with vision? You've got a vision of a clear mental image of how you could make your household a better household because you unselfishly used your gifts for the betterment of that household. Live life on purpose. Don't just drift. Don't just wait to react. And don't trip over the chair going around the table. Paul. Laugh. We're to advance the kingdom of God through the gospel using these gifts. But that begins with our call to holiness. Some other day I want to do a whole sermon on this. We need, in order to get to that place where we have a clear comprehension of what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are, we have to do one of the most courageous things in life. We have to face the truth about ourselves. No pretense, no minimization of sin, no exaggeration of strengths, no minimizing. You just take a picture and look and say, here's what's true about me. It's actually an ancient Christian tradition that seems to have been lost. And I'm telling you, it will terrify you if you'll really do it. But if you'll sit down, in substance abuse we call it a fourth step, and you'll really take an inventory of yourself and come to the conclusion that I, I am one selfish son of a gun. In fact, I am the center of the universe, and I wish everybody else would just get in orbit. You are. And you, you take a good inventory of that. And then you know what you do? And, and, and by the way, let me add an inventory of where you've been harmed. And, and so you're holding wounds and grievances. And where you've done harm. And so you owe a debt. And you take a look at that, and then you know what you do? You repent because it's sin. You peel off the layer of artificial Christianity and artificial humanity and say, the truth about me is I'm a stinking drug addict, and I'll pick your pocket and kick in your door because I've done it. Wasn't very good at it. But I'm capable of that, and that is the truth about me. What you see up here is only part of the truth about me. But knowing that, that gives me some things to work on, doesn't it? And all of a sudden now, I've got another vision for a preferable future where instead of a no-good, selfish, loud of a husband that's a drag on his family, I'm going to work to become better. And instead of a selfish mom who's just sick and tired of dealing with her kids and would rather go anywhere, I'm working on being a good mom. I may not be a good mom, but I'm working on it. Do you all see what I'm saying? 
And, and so what, I've, what I do is I pray that God will reveal the truth of these inadequacies, the truth of these afflictions, and give me the courage to go, I'm that way, and God, I am so sorry. Please change me. And then you go to work and use the spiritual tools that are all around you. You go to your small group and talk about it and go, I'm selfish. <laughs> Y'all don't mind, do you? <laughs> Can I come back? Or I'm mean. Or I'm abusive. Or I have an anger problem. Help me with my anger problem. Tell me what you do. Do you have an anger problem? How do you handle it? <clears throat> and so you become intentional using the resources of the small groups, of the pastors, of the wisdom of, 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 of elders and other counsel. And you begin to intentionally try and get better. You can't do everything at once, so you prioritize it. But I promise you, honestly, I do this every day, and we're teaching our friendly drug addicts to do it every day. I'm sitting back, and I'm looking. i got two or three areas in my life that are big-time problems for me, and every day I ask myself, how am I doing? And I don't like it. I don't like asking myself that. I'd rather pretend like I'm doing great, wouldn't you? You didn't laugh again. Of course you would. But you come to that place of repentance, and then you systematically and methodically begin to try to make progress in a particular area. And, and you know what? You're going to discover a romance with God if you haven't been doing this that you've never experienced before. Live life on purpose. Don't drift. James says people are drift or like those driven by the wind. They just go to and fro. Don't be driven by the wind. God has called us to too much more. If you're being proactive in the face of life and challenges, great. But if you're stuck, if you're lost, if you're simply reacting without real thought to your sins and circumstances and the wrongs you've done, the wrongs that have been done to you, if you're feeling victimized and helpless, remember that God has called you to much, much more. He's called you to much, much more. So take it in faith. It takes great courage to do what I'm talking about. That's why so many churches are dead. Because it takes courage to face the truth. The truth about your sin, the truth about yourself. You probably know some of your weaknesses. But do you know you're God-given, God-empowered, strategically placed gifts that he put in you to advance his kingdom. You may know about Jesus, but you have no clue for his plan for you. I want to challenge you. Join those who are at work in the kingdom and run the race. Pull up our last passage, and we're going to close with this. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. <clears throat> Make straight path for your feet, so the lame that's... That's the end of it. I'm sorry, I, what I was looking for was uh, 1 through 13. <coughs> you got that? Okay. Well, I do.
Listen to this, and this is going to be the summation for my message. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. God is willing to train you. He's he's engaged in training you. He's engaged in teaching you. And he wants you to run the race. And there's a race marked out for you. Let me encourage you to, if you haven't discovered it, discover it and chase Jesus down that path. And in that path, you'll find in the process, you're meeting the goals that he has set for you to become holy, to be a servant, and to advance the kingdom. Thanks for having me this morning, y'all. It's good to see you.